0: Good morning, everyone. Um, so nice to see the sun out, isn't it? <laughs> so this morning, um, I suppose this is still kind of continuing on with our series um, that we started um, a good few weeks back, uh, which was based in First John, um, where it talks about whoever claims to live in Jesus must walk as Jesus did. And this morning, I want to spend a bit of time um, looking at a story of someone in the Bible um, who I think has a lot to teach us. I think this season has been um, a season that's been quite unsettling and quite challenging and has brought a lot of things to the surface for a lot of us, Um, and a season that has required us and really stretched um, our resilience. And so this morning we're going to look at the story of Hannah, which we can find in 1 Samuel. So if you want to turn there with me, you can read along and we're going to be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 1. I was tempted to ask someone else to read this for me since there's so many big words in it, but I appreciate your, uh, (laughs) your grace in this. So there was a certain man from Rathmain, a Ziphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. He was the son of an Ephraimite. He had two wives, one called Hannah and the other called Peninnah. Pinah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where the sons of Eli were priests. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah and to, his, to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? After eating and drinking, Hannah quietly got up and went to pray to the Lord. Eli the priest was sitting on a chair near the the door of the Lord's building. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put your wine away. "'Not so, my lord,' Hannah replied. "'I am a woman who is deeply troubled. "'I have not been drinking wine or beer. "'I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. "'Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. "'I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief.' "'Eli answered, "'Go in peace, and may the God of Israel "'grant you what you have asked of him.' "'She said, "'May your servant find favour in your eyes.' "'And then she went away and ate something, "'and her face was no longer downcast.' Early the next morning, they rose and worshipped before the Lord and went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband Elkanah went up with all of his family to offer their annual sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, said Elkanah. Stay here until you have weaned him, and only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son. After he he was weaned, she took the boy with her, along with a three-year-old bull, flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord, for his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And they worshipped the Lord there. I appreciate that. that was quite a big chunk uh, to read in one go, but don't worry, we're going to sort of break it down as we go. I just felt like it would be helpful to read it all um, in one go to to get the full context of the story. And there's so much, there really is so much packed into the story, um, and maybe for some of us it's a story that resonates because of a similar experience, but I think for many of us, whether um, it's a similar experience to Hannah or whether it's the experience of having a dream and not seeing it fulfilled or waiting to see it fulfilled. I think we can all relate to that. And so one of the main things I see in the story of Hannah and one of the things I want to spend a bit of time um, this morning digging into is Hannah and how we can learn from her resilience. Psychologists define resilience as the process of adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats, or significant sources of stress. It's an ability to bounce back, if you like, um, from these difficult experiences and how we're able to do that. Our bodies and our brains um, are are all about self-preservation. They want to preserve as much energy as possible. And so often our bodies, when we experience hard times or physical stress or exercise even, our bodies will tell us to slow down or stop before actually we're out of energy. The U.S. Navy SEALs actually teach their recruits that when your brain first starts telling you to stop, that you still have about 40, you're only using 40% of your capacity at that stage. And so there's still more in the tank, but your body's trying to reserve it for potential future situations. And so we read that Elkanah and his family would go from his town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord and whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. And so for me, and I don't know about you, but I didn't actually know too much about the process of sacrificing, of what it meant in the biblical sense. Sacrifice is a word that we use fairly common. We talk about sacrifice in church life, but I think maybe the way that we talk about it is a little bit different. When we speak of sacrifice, we think of giving something up that costs us something, whether it's our time, our finances, or something else. We sacrifice, we give it away without any expectation of getting it back. And generally, a sacrifice isn't something that's easy for us to give up. It's something that requires an effort to give it away. But actually, this isn't quite like what the ancient concept of sacrifice was. When you sacrificed an animal, you didn't burn it until, when it was a burnt offering anyway, you didn't burn it until it was completely ashes and there was nothing left. You would offer it to God on the fire, and it was usually done as a a sign of thanksgiving and of gratitude to the Lord. It was kept on the fire just long enough for the outer portion of the animal to be burned off, so the skin and the hair and the outer layer of fat. And when the smoke stopped rising from the animal, that was a sign that God was giving the rest of the animal back to you. So by the time that portion was carved away and some of the meat was then shared with the priests from the temple, there was around 90% of the animal was left, which was then seen at the time as God's gift back to you. And while it was the same meat, essentially it was the same animal, after going through this process of sacrifice, God had made the animal holy. And in returning it to the person, and the person then eating a portion, that was your symbol or your sign of you accepting God's holiness, and then in turn for you to become made holy again. So it wasn't a sacrifice in the way that we would think of it. It wasn't primarily about losing something, but actually gaining something through an act of gratitude, which we see is Hannah's story. To Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. So when they would offer the animal, part of it would go to the priest and then the part that was burned went to the Lord and then the rest of it would be eaten by the family and usually the older son would be given a double portion. But Elkanah chose to give that double portion to Hannah He gave her a double portion and in doing that, what he was saying is even though you don't have a son, you are still so special and highly loved by me. It would have been really unusual for him to show this favor to Hannah, um, given that she was barren. And we can see similarities with other women in the Bible like Rachel and Hannah, sorry, Rachel and Sarah with Hannah's story. But Hannah couldn't fully accept this, this display of his love and his favor. A big part of resilience is learning to try and not control the uncontrollable, but dealing with what you can and taking each part as it comes. We see Hannah do this. Hannah has no power to change her situation. She has no control over her ability to have children. And the Bible actually tells us that it was God that closed her womb. And I don't know about you, but actually that's quite a challenging verse to read, that God is preventing Hannah's dream from happening. And we all he- we all know the statements that people make when when things aren't happening the way we want them, and um, it'll happen in God's timing, or when God closes a door, He'll open a window. But actually, in the moments where where like Hannah, you're facing that that moment of of real heartache and real pain, they're not always the things that we need to hear. And I don't have an answer for why God chose to close Hannah's womb in that time, but it did make me ask the question. Um, What if God is more interested in our journey and in the process than he is in an end result? I don't know if any of you are uh, into or if you've ever watched the CrossFit Games. Uh, If you're aware of CrossFit, it's quite an intense uh, exercise um, sport, if you like. And every year, the top, top, top athletes who are almost superhuman in their skill and in their strength come together and they compete against each other over a weekend. And they do what they call workouts, but I think workout doesn't even quite cover what they actually do, if you've ever seen it. Um, And over the weekend, they do maybe, I think it's about 12 12 events. And I think it was in last year's Games, one of the events they did was a trail run. Now, these people are super fit, so for them to run 5K is not, like, nothing, nothing that they can't do. But they've done it on top of a series of other events. And what they didn't know was that once they got to the end of the trail, they were running the trail and none of them knew. They knew that it was starting the finish point or what they were. But when they got to the finish point, the first person to get there was told, run the trail backwards. So nobody knew until that point that that's what they all had to do. So all of them were running and running and running and going for their goal of this end point until they got to the end and they realized it wasn't actually the end. And in life, I think there's lots of times where sometimes there's that sort of false finish, where we come to a situation where we're so focused on the end goal, we're so focused on what we're aiming for that actually we don't quite realise that oh, we've still got a little bit further to go until we get there. And so part of resilience is learning to focus on the process and not just the outcome. It's learning to view the process or the journey as, as important as the outcome or as the dream. And if our only purpose Sometimes even in church, we think about our purpose being to get to heaven and we get saved and we go to heaven. But if that is our only purpose, then what's the point of the journey of being here on earth? Actually, in in, in ancient Israel, sorry, they didn't have much of an understanding of heaven in the way that we do today. For them, their lives, their uh, legacy came from their children. And so that was why it was such a big thing for them to be fruitful and to have children because that was how they viewed living on after death because the lord had closed hannah's womb her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her this went on year after year whenever hannah went up to the house of the lord her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat Hannah not only carried this dream for many years, but she also had to put up with the teasing and mocking of Panaya. A few years ago, I um, took part in a sponsored walk for a charity called Aspire, which I know lots of you are familiar with. And we were doing it to raise money um, for the work that they do in supporting children through their education. And it was a 30-mile walk. And I suppose I think, like, I quite enjoy walking. It was, you know, something that might be quite fun to do. Um, And so although I did a bit of preparation, I probably should have done a little bit more because it's one thing to walk 30 miles over a week, but it's an entirely other thing to walk 30 miles in one day. Um, And so I think for all of us, we all sort of just, I don't think anybody had really done too much preparation for it, but we we did it up at the North Coast, so it was such a beautiful location which definitely helped with the journey. But as we were walking, I think everybody at some point hit a wall where they thought, oh my goodness, how are we going to get to the end of this walk? Um, Whether it was because of physical pain or whether it was tiredness or the blisters maybe that had happened from your shoes. um, But we all had to find a way just to push on and push on until we got to the end. And for some of us that meant actually carrying the pain for some of the journey, if it was from the blisters or from a sore knee or ankle. And, and we had to find a way to carry that pain with us. But once we got to the end, we were able to set it to the side. And for each of us, there will be seasons that we have to go through that will require pain or that come with pain. And there's a point where we, we will get to where we're able to set it aside. But there is a season sometimes where pain is part of our journey. And so one of the hardest things that we can do, actually, or one of the hardest things to do is to trust that God is working in the midst of situations that are painful, because it doesn't seem like it when you're in the middle of that. And her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? After eating and drinking, Hannah got up quietly and went to pray to the Lord. So for a woman in her culture, it was a great shame, or it was considered great shame on her that Hannah wasn't able to have children. It was the reason that women were seen to exist was to provide an heir for their husband. And actually, it would even have been considered a curse on her that, some, that she'd sinned in some way, and that was why she wasn't able to have children. Even though that we know from reading it that God had chosen to close Hannah's womb for this time but Elkanah had loved her deeply and he felt like his love should override this desire but actually his love couldn't remove the shame and it couldn't remove her vulnerability because if he was to die he would have left all his property would have been left to his other children and Hannah would have been left with nothing but in the midst of her pain and in the midst of her sadness Hannah um, made a choice and she chose to remain quiet Silence was one of Hannah's strategies. In some situations, we have to learn how to pull back and to surrender and to come before God with our problems. Hannah prayed and she persistently and relentlessly pursued God in the midst of her pain. She was mocked and she was tormented and she probably felt at points that she maybe should just give up and just look after the the children that were already in her family. But she didn't she didn't give up on her dream and eventually she was given a son in her deep anguish hannah prayed to the lord weeping bitterly and she made a vow, saying lord almighty if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son then i will give him to the lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head Hannah took those feelings of pain and hurt to God honestly in prayer. And it's really important that we learn how to be honest with God in prayer and tell him exactly how we're feeling. He already knows, so it's not like it's going to surprise him. But when we acknowledge um, the pain or the frustration or whatever it is, when we acknowledge that before God, it actually does good for our, for us. We read in the Psalms and we read in the Book of Job of how both David and Job really poured out their hearts to God and it wasn't always very positive but it doesn't ever seem to bother God that they spoke to him in that way. Often David would start his psalms in great pain and great sadness and great frustration about whatever situation he was facing but he would end or come to a place where he gave a strong statement of trust in God's goodness and I think being honest with God is good for us. It helps us to hold on to the faith that he calls us to and what he wants from us. O Lord of hosts, Hannah began, Hannah began her prayer with this phrase, O Lord of hosts, or Lord Almighty. And this phrase for, or this name for God is actually used around 126 times in the Old Testament. And in some ways, it was like Hannah was calling on this God of armies to come and protect her from the attacks that she was feeling that she was calling him to be her protector in this season. Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, and I will give him to you for all the days of his life. Hannah is promising that in in gratitude for God fulfilling her prayer, in advance of actually being fulfilled, that she will offer her son to God's service at the temple. And in some ways it might seem a bit of a crazy thing to do, Hannah's been praying and praying for this son to come and all of a sudden she's willing to give him away. But when we think about sacrifice in the way that they would, it was a giving out of gratitude. It also actually wasn't legal for Hannah to be the one to make that decision in those times. It would actually have been up to the husband to do that, but we read and we know that because of Elkanah's love for Hannah, he was happy to follow her decision on this matter. Hannah had a bigger picture for this son that she so desperately wanted. She said, I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. Now, their family were part of the Levites and the Levites already were regarded as special because they were the servants in the temple. And Levites would generally serve from the ages of 25 to 50. So they would serve for around 25 years of their life. So her son would already have been going to do that. But she said, not only that, but all his life I will give him to you, Lord. And the fact of mentioning that, she would, um, that no razor would come into contact with his head, that meant it was a Nazarite vow, which was the same vow that Samson, Samson's parents had taken. And generally, there's, I think those are the only two examples of people who gave their whole lives as Nazarite, with the Nazarite vow. Generally, the Nazarite vow would have been taken as part for a shorter period of time. Um, so for a period of time, they would have followed the, the rules of being a Nazarite, but not for an entire life. So she hadn't even conceived the child yet, and she decided that she would give him to the Lord for his whole life. There were three things that a Nazarite couldn't do. He couldn't cut his hair, he was never to touch anything dead, and he was never to drink from the fruit of, a, fruit of the vine. But she said, in this moment, I'm going to give this child, this son, back to you. She wanted a son because the son would carry on the father's name, but also it was the son who could be given back to the Lord to be his servant. And she's very specific that she'll give him back for all the days of his life. And she does it in a way that it's a public commitment regarding the child. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. May your servant find favor in your eyes, she said. And the, she went away and ate something. Another version says, eh, Hannah, Hannah ate heartily and her face was radiant. So in that time in the temple, there was something that changed for Hannah. Hannah she was able to fully leave her problem and fully surrender her problem to God. And so I think one of the main things that I would want to learn from Hannah is her resilience and her identity. Because resilience isn't always about pushing through or taking control or trying to carry on regardless of how you feel, but it's about developing ways that we can manage difficult situations better. And so we see in Hannah that she is resilient in who she is. She knows who she is and she knows who her Heavenly Father is. And she knows in her heart, even though it takes her some time, she knows in her heart the best thing she can do is to surrender her hopes and her dreams to Him. So we need to be reminded constantly, and I need to be reminded constantly, of who God is, who He is, and who He says that we are. And to stand on the promises that he has already given us and to continue praying until we see the fruit that he has promised. And ultimately Hannah's story teaches us resilience in our faith. Some people, some scholars would suggest that Hannah had been married for more than 10 years when this story takes place. So for 10 years she'd wanted and prayed and sought for a child. And so even when we hear her cry in the temple, it's still, there's still some time that passes before she finds out that her prayers have actually been answered. Because nothing other than Eli giving her his blessing, nothing physically changes. But for Hannah, her faith has been renewed. We see in, as she leaves the temple, that radiance that it talks about. She's made this vow and she's trusting the God and she feels something has shifted within her. So even after the fulfillment of God's promises, we need to remain humble in that. Hannah knew that it was God who would give and God that, who had the choice to give her the son. And then in that, she decided that her son would be given back to the God, back to the God who made it possible. And so just as we finish, I'm going to pray over some of the things that Hannah has shown us and has taught us and the things that we want to carry as we go about our our lives. And so let's just pray for a few minutes. So Father, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you for all that we can learn from the story of Hannah. God, for those in the room who need endurance, Father, I pray for endurance. For those who are waiting on a, a dream or holding on to something that they're hoping will happen, Father, I pray for a refreshing Holy Spirit of your comfort and of your presence with them, that they would know your closeness and that they would know you as they walk through this, this season. I pray for for those who need courage for whatever they're facing. Holy Spirit, would you fill us afresh with the courage that we need to face what's ahead. And God, would you remind us of your goodness this morning. Would you remind us of all the stories and all the things and all the, pro- the prayers that we've seen you answer in the past? Would you bring them back to our minds as we celebrate your goodness, as we celebrate your faithfulness and as we come before you with gratitude, Father? We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you're doing and even in the things that we can't see, God, we thank you for the, the things that will come and the answers that we will receive and the things that you're going to do through us. And so this morning, yeah God, we just declare that we will be a people who are resilient. We declare that we are a people who will be, who will persevere in prayer. And that we will be humble with your answers to prayer, Father, always giving the glory back to you. And entrusting you with all our dreams, all our hopes, all our frustrations, and our whole lives. And so yeah, Father, we just thank you for this time. God, I thank you for each person that's here and I pray just this morning that they would feel a real sense of refreshing from you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.